Unbillable Hour Community Table, where real lawyers from all around the country with real issues they are dealing with right now meet together virtually to present their questions to Christopher T. Anderson, lawyer and law firm management consultant. New questions every episode, and none of it scripted. The real conversations happen here. In our first question, Christopher and an attorney analyze why the attorney's quarterly revenue dropped 50% year over year. My question is about my revenue in Q4 was about 50% of where it was a year before. Q4 of 21? Q4 22 was 50% of Q4 21. Yeah. And that was quite unpleasant. Now, remind me, what was your um, production staff level Q422 compared to Q421? In terms of bodies, I have more bodies, which makes it especially painful. Yeah. In terms of who the bodies are, we gently assisted one body out the door at the beginning of Q4 and replaced them with a much better body. Okay, so it's not it's not due to a lack of production capacity. That that's the question. So that's not I it. could use more, but I don't have less than I did the year before. So that's a big and so my second question with that would be is it a timing issue? Did you just have some bills that got paid early January that normally would have been paid in March, I mean uh, December, um or anything like that or did some bills that normally would have been paid in October get paid on the last week of September? I mean, did you have any timing issues where September was hot? And January's hot, and so the fourth quarter looked weird. Not really. I I was also looking not just at gross revenue, but at um, you know potential clients that contacted my firm. You read my mind. So like I, the first thing I always like to look at when I see, I mean, fifty percent is a huge move, right? So I just like to look for anomalies. Was staffing different? Was is was there a timing problem? Okay, no, no. There's one thing that was an anomaly, which is that, and I've become like a preacher about this, my Google profile, the Google My Business profile was taken down by the algorithm. Well, that'll hurt. Yeah. How much of your business comes from Google paid search? Very little, but I do get unpaid. I get more business from unpaid search on Google. You know, people in my neighborhood look up elder law attorney and I would come up. But that's, that goes straight to GMB, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how much better you do in Google My Business when you uh, actually spend a bunch with Google. It's, it's remarkable. Um, so it's not directly paid, but it's influenced. So and did you lose all your reviews, too? I did. When did this happen? I don't know exactly when it happened. I suspect around the beginning of November, end of October, I discovered it in mid-December because oh, wow. I was like freaking out and I, you know, got it back up. Apparently, if it's recoverable if you get it fast enough, get to it quickly enough, but I wasn't able to. I am back to 55 star reviews. That's remarkable. Of real clients. What caused this? We don't know. Jeez, Louise. My my so, Google person, my you know, my SEO person doesn't know. She said the, you know, they were taking down a ton because people make fake GMB oh, absolutely. profiles, right? So she basically was saying like they clear stuff out periodically and you kind of 
even though you're real and legit, you got caught up. Okay. So there's some lessons here for everybody, which I'll talk to in a minute, but I want to first talk to you about what you're looking to solve. So, okay. That might have something to do with it, right? Most of our clients are still referral based, you know, but it helps. Well, plus what I find is like sometimes like websites and Google My Business and reviews don't just serve the initial look purpose. It's people go to validate. Um, people go to, to your website to validate. People go to Google My Business to validate. People look you up. So congratulations on getting the 50 reviews. That's fast. That's really fast. Uh, so that, that's fantastic. Do you track how many qualified leads you get per week, per month, and how many signups you get per week, per month? Like the, all goes to my question is, are you back to doing what you used to do? Like, are you getting the same number of qualified leads? Are you landing the same number of clients now in the second week of January, third week of January that you would be, that you would have been in third week of January a year ago? I'm not. So let me make, before I give you some answers then, let me make sure I'm clear on what is the question you're asking. I find myself in a very uncomfortable situation where I am not in that, I'm theoretically not in that hustle market sell mode, right? But I am. You better be. And looking for some some general feedback, advice, and then my and the kind of a subset of that is rolling out a less expensive product. That's not the answer. That's not the answer. So we're not even going to talk about that. Well, because has that been a problem? I mean, if you've dropped 50%, the problem isn't that because the list went 50% ago. Before you dropped 50%, did you have a less expensive product then? No. Right. So that's not the answer. Let's fix what's broken. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not telling you not to roll out a less expensive product. That would be an interesting expansion of your business potential. If that works for your business, you could do an experiment to see if that's what you work. We could also talk about whether that's the direction you want to take your business is more can, you know, lower end. I have, I pass zero judgment on that. I have great clients whose average case value is under a thousand dollars. I have great clients whose average case value is north of $30,000 and everywhere in between. You can build a business around either one, but we don't fix this problem by rolling out new products. You had something that was working. It broke. Let's fix it and then go back to experimenting on your business. Yes. This is where I find myself like, maybe I should cut my prices. Maybe like these are bad. Yeah, bad. Because that's not what broke, because that's not what was broke, what what got fixed. Again, all things to consider, but not right now. Right now, we got to fix the problem. And the lesson here for everybody is diversity of business sources, revenue sources, new client sources. Like she's got referrals, but there was everything was going through a choke point, even though she had a referral business and SEO or organic business. I think that what's the evidence here, it seems to point towards that everybody was at least using or going to this as a, as a, as a, um, verification point. And I'm going to also guess that with that change, that perhaps your, your page authority and or where you're ending up in searches is, is gotten hurt as you rebuild the, the authority with Google. So in driving business, I, one of the theories, theories, axioms, that I use is that organic search, referrals, 
are ways of building wealth in your business. And by wealth, I mean, you know, a certain capital in your business that continues to produce clients. It's wealth. You don't have to, you take a long time to build it and it keeps paying dividends, which is great. And we should continue doing that. But when things go wrong, when you're just starting, when you launch a new line of business, when you're trying to grow really fast, when you need money, which is different than wealth, it's time for interrupt. I just learned this as a new phrase uh, from my marketing team. Interrupt-based marketing. In this circumstance, probably mostly paid search. Did you call this interrupt? I'm sorry. No, ignore that. I'm going to talk about interrupt-based marketing here in a second. Paid search. Paid search is demand-based marketing. That's the the, demand and interrupt. We need paid search right now. We need demand-based marketing. You need, basically what I'm telling you is it's time for us to go back to the bottom of the funnel right now because you need money. Revenues have dried up. We need to get some money in the door. When you need money in the door today, we go bottom of funnel. You know, changing your business, like a product offering, that's top of funnel stuff. That stuff takes months to, to prove out. We need to go back to bottom of funnel. We need paid search. We possibly need social. We need to enter into conversations that people are already having. And people even more so are even asking the question. We need to get in front of people who are asking the question. The fastest, bestest way to do that is to engage in some good paid search that highly targets your target market with beautiful, perfect copy, beautiful landing pages, great gift gives from you. So, you know, any content that you can put out there as part of this video, typed, whatever, Screw lead magnets, screw all sorts of funnels. We're talking about, you need this now, buy it now. Then when we start getting traction there, we move back up the funnel to lead magnets and funnel and sequences and that kind of stuff. But we need bare knuckle search engine marketing. Not that drops them into a long sequence, but that drops them right into this consult. Can you give me like, an, you said gifts, et cetera, but not lead magnets. Right. So the gift would be on the landing page. Watch this video about, about this. And the video is going to be like, da, 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 call us now. Let me tell you about, uh, Marsha and John who died on Christmas day and their kids Christmas present was going to foster care. Call us now. No, hey, you know, there's this magical trust and da, 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 no, but this has got this hard nosed, bare knuckle, punch him in the face, get some business. Then we can start moving back up the funnel, but we got to fix the revenue stream first or your business won't be around long enough to, to have stuff drop through the funnel. Yeah. And then as soon as you get traction, we start doing other things. We move up the funnel and start doing things that take a little bit longer that bring in better clients and better business and rebuild to back where you were and then rebuild past that. But, you know, when it's time to fix, it's time to fix. So if I am looking to do this kind of paid search, I know that, Budgets are different based on markets and, you know, et cetera. But how much revenue are you down? But it doesn't matter because then I'm going to tell you the budget. So whatever the number is, was doing $100,000 a month and is now doing $50,000 a month. So she's down $50,000. I'm I'm totally making that number up. To quickly generate $50,000 a month of new revenue, her spend, her map spend, her spend on advertising needs to be about $5,000 a month until we get it back. So 10% about. At least. 
it's a good place to start. And then you find out, I don't know, like I, to, to answer the question more thoroughly, I'd have to see what your general cost of acquisition has been historically from paid search, what your average cost per lead has been, what your average cost per client. You know, if you've got that data historically, then you can figure out the number for yourself. But if you don't have the data, I go with 10%. We start there and we work our way, you know, then we feel our way to the right number because I don't know what the number is, but it's not a bad place to start. You should, you know, good marketing should be getting seven to twelve x return in gross revenues, or it's not That's working. That's the number I was looking for. And it won't happen in a day, but it, with paid search, it can happen pretty fast. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. Law Clerk's nationwide network of talented freelance lawyers is trusted by thousands of law firms. Solo attorneys and firms can get help with the project-based work and also ongoing work via a subscription. Sign up is free and there are no monthly fees. You only pay when you delegate work. Plus, Law Clerk has a new app for your mobile device to help you manage the work you've delegated while you're on the go. Be sure to use referral code UNBILLABLE when you sign up at lawclerk.legal. In this next question, an attorney wants to stop being the go-to person for every issue within her firm. I'm dealing with some, I don't know, chain of command issues. And my team, as we've gotten larger, and I don't really know when this happened or how this happened, but now all of these stupid, minute questions seem to come to me first. And, and I don't know how to best and quickly nip this in the bud. Like like this morning, I got two calls about our, our internet being down. Um, <laughs> I'm in Arizona. What, what do you want me to do about it? Fix it. I have a, I have a whole administrator who was in the office this morning. Why, why is anybody calling me about the internet as well as an office manager? I, I don't know how to I need to fix this problem because they are. This is normal. Two things are happening simultaneously and they're different. So it's important to acknowledge both of them. One is since we're on Zoom, that means that you've got a video of yourself somewhere on this screen. Look at that video. Go like that person taught them to. That's why. Because when your business was smaller, you were the go-to person and you fixed everything because you couldn't tolerate the internet being down, that meant like we weren't talking to clients, we weren't getting leads, like that had to be fixed right away. So, you know, if they didn't tell you, you would be freaking pissed off because that's the, the your whole business. So part of it is that you've taught, it's out there in the world. It's respect in a way. Like be, people like, believe you can fix anything. Kind of like kids go go to you know, believe their mom and dad can fix everything. So you've, and part of that served you and part of that made you feel good for a while. And part of it might even still. But so just recognize that, 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 you know, take responsibility for it when you deal with it. Um, don't blame others, blame yourself. It's really helpful. So how to deal with it then is to stop immediately. Like, hey, thanks for letting me know, but 
Uh, that's going to be much more effectively fixed by calling name of office manager right now. So give them a call. Thanks so much. They'll let me know if they, you know, if we, if they need anything, but they, they've got this under control and just cut it off. Do not help. Don't slam it in their face because you're responsible for them calling you, but don't help. Do not help even a little. Just send them to where you want them to go. Do that enough times and the people will get the message. Then, of course, your next team meeting, reiterate it. Just like, listen, folks, if everybody thinks that I want to know that the Internet's broken because that's really important, you're right. It is really important. And it's really important that it gets fixed efficiently and fast. And I ain't the one to do it. So if you want to respect the fact that I think it's really, really important, please make sure to call the boss manager. Same thing if, you know, anything goes wrong. If a client complaint or whatever else you don't want on your plate, make sure that the team is clearly delineated as to where they're supposed to go. My, in my business, which has also, you know, quadrupled in the past year in number of people, one of the things that we've done that's been super duper helpful is we created and update monthly what we call a function matrix. And this is just a list of things that can go wrong in the business and who to call. So we have who's the owner and who's the backup owner. So call person A. If you can't reach them, call person B or Slack in our, our circumstance. Nobody's supposed to call anybody or email anybody. But it doesn't matter. Like who do you, you contact person A, then contact person B for everything that can go wrong in the business. So you know you got an HR problem, call A, call B. Internet's down, call A, call B. You feel sad, call A, call B. Your paycheck didn't come, call A, call B. Whatever it is, they have a go-to and a second person. So that if I ever do get the call, which quite honestly, I don't anymore, which is kind of like, and this is why I picked on you at first, because like sometimes it's sort of like, nobody's calling me. <laughs> I was like, hey, it's just like I was off yesterday and they didn't even miss me, which, you know, I should be celebrating, but a little bit it's like, if they do, I just, my first reaction is, hey, did you call A? What did they say? Couldn't reach them? Did you call B? What did they say? And if they say I couldn't reach A or B, you know, then I'll, I'll say, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to reach out to them and I'll have them call you right away. And then that is something I want. Like if they can't reach A or B, I do want that to come to me. And I'll find out where A and B are. Right. Because their job. Exactly. The second thing is that People, when your organization grows, they resist, resent, and feel hurt by the distance between you and them. When I was in a large, much larger organization, uh, we used to call it getting layered. And everybody hates getting layered. You know, you used to report directly to the CEO. Now you, then you reported to a VP and then you reported to a senior director who reported to the VP who reported to the CEO. You, you got layered three times. People hate that. They just hate it. You know, I used to feel like she cared. Now she doesn't care anymore. What a bitch. Like that's the harder one to deal with. So you've got to do other things in your business to show you care to nip that part in the bud. You know, make sure you've got everybody's birthday and that you're sending a personal note kids, whatever you can, just like things that you can do that don't cost you a whole lot of time or energy to show that you're still personally connected with each and every member of your team. Because at the end of the day, if you're doing things right, they're there because of your mission. There's something about you that brought them to this business and you need to show that love back all the time, just not in being available to them to fix the internet. Right. But like if, you know, all of us who've had and have children know that if you don't pay enough attention to them, 
they'll find a way to get you to pay attention to them. First, they'll do nice things. Then they'll do less nice things. And they don't even care if the attention is yelling. It's better in their brains than no attention. And the same with your team. So that's that's what I meant by the second thing. I'm glad I remembered. So the first thing is, and that's that's how you solve it. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a quick fix either. It's going to take a little while. But, you know, by a little while, I mean a month or two to really get them in the habit of going back to you. But you've got to be relentless. It's like, did you call A? What did they say? Like, do not help. Okay. That was helpful. Find out how TimeSolve fits your firm. With six different ways to track time, surely one will fit, even on the go. Or quickly estimate flat fee projects. Batch payments for hundreds of invoices at once with TimeSolve Pay. Getting paid quickly is a great fit. And TimeSolve fits with the other tools you use. QuickBooks, LawPay, NetDocuments, LawRuler, Microsoft, all just plug in. Try TimeSolve free. Get a $100 Amazon gift card when you sign up. TimeSolve.com. Nearly 80% of people search for lawyers online. They visit websites and check reviews. If your site doesn't appear in the top search results or it presents poorly, you risk losing clients. That's why you must know how your firm stacks up on Google against the competition. See how your reviews impact clients' decisions and how you can get better results from your site. Get an unbiased marketing performance report in under a minute right now at Grow Law Firm. And that's growlawfirm.com slash unbillable. Once again, growlawfirm.com slash unbillable. In our last question, Christopher explains how he uses daily meetings to increase efficiency within his firm. Chris, real quick, I have a question about huddles. Do you do daily or do you do, you do daily huddles, don't you? Absolutely. I'm an extreme believer and I believe watering, I call them scrums um, and it, I did not invent it. Um, that is from agile scrum methodology, which is from the development world. But I believe watering them down makes them ineffective. I believe daily is, is essential. Keeps them short, keeps them sweet. And they're also out there called stand-ups, um, which you know, in the world of Zoom has become less relevant. But when I do them in person, nobody sits um, unless they have some sort of disability that requires sitting. Yes, they must be daily. And just to just because there's listeners and stuff, I want to just explain what, what this thing is, right? So this is part of a meeting cadence. Um, it's, as a standalone, it's somewhat effective, but it really is part of a meeting cadence where you have a daily scrum, a weekly swamp out, it's what do I call it, and then you have monthly topical meetings and quarterly strategic meetings, and these things all marry up one to the other. The scrum is a team meeting, and what this all does is facilitates peer management, self-organizing teams. So it, it reduces top-down management and, and, and improves peer management. So in the daily scrum, everybody stands up and answers three questions. What did you do since last scrum? What are you committing to do between now and the next scrum? And these are, should only be things that move cases forward. I can't stand people who come to scrums and say, I called the client. Unless you call the client, move the ball forward, like touch base with client, updated client, don't want to hear it in the scrum. So what did you do since last scrum? What are you committing to do between now and the next scrum? And where are you stuck? And this, to me, as a, as a business leader, 
I'm listening mostly for the stucks. The team members should be listening mostly for the dids and gonna do's um, because they're relying then on, you know, if uh, if you say you're gonna do something that I'm relying on you getting that done, I might be waiting on that for something else. But I'm listening for the stucks because my job in the scrum, generally speaking, is to clear obstacles. So I'm listening for the stucks. And if we can handle it within the scrum timeframe, which by the way, is no more than 15 minutes. The meeting is 15 minutes and not a minute longer. Um, if it can't be handled during that, we schedule it for what I call after scrum, which is an optional meeting immediately after the scrum where people can come if they have a stuck or if they're involved in the stuck. The reason this is so powerful is that when you're coming to scrum, you're coming prepared because you don't want to face those questions of the stucks in front of everybody. When you're all together in this self-organizing methodology, boom, 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 it's handled and nobody can hide. So two really quick questions. What time do you have this at? Because some people start in, you know, different times. And what if it's an attorney needs to be in court? Like they just skip it? Yes, you just, well, not just skip it. Yes, you skip it. Scrum always goes on, no matter what. If the scrum master, which by the way, isn't the leader, the scrum master is just some member of the team. They, they write down what everybody said. Um, and then the leader is listening for stucks. But no matter who can't make it, it goes on. The rule should be, and is in my, in my teams, if you can't make it, you must give your report to someone else to announce for you what I did, what I planned to do, and if you have any stucks. But the meeting goes on. You asked what time. I have tried so many different times, and I have settled on doing this at 11 o'clock. We have a scrum every day at 11 o'clock. Swamp outs at 11 o'clock. Team meetings are at 11 o'clock. Every meeting that we have is at 11 o'clock. So everybody on my team knows it's 11 o'clock. I'm not, I don't remember what meeting I've got, but I've got one. And then they go figure out what meeting they've got because they have a meeting every day at 11 o'clock. My commitment in doing this, which yours should be too, is that you always get people, you start your meetings on time and you end them on time so that people don't feel like they drag on and on and on. If there's tangents, what do you say? Like cut it out? Or yep. You got to either say, we're going to take that to after scrum or that's a topical meeting. We're going to set a time for that. That's going to take more because after scrum, the maximum time that you can deal with something in after scrum is about two to three minutes. If it's going to take longer than that, it needs a separate topical meeting. We'll set We'll say, when is that meeting going to be? How long does it need to be? And what the agenda is so that when we have that meeting, we're going to say, okay, the agenda for this meeting is to clear this obstacle and boom. But yeah, you don't let, like my scrum masters have gotten really good at this, but for, I'd say three to four months, one of my roles in scrums was to cut the shit, cut the diagonals, cut the uh, chatter. You know, so when it hits 11 o'clock, I'm like, if nobody else has said it, but now my scrum masters do, I don't have to do it anymore. But if no one else has said it, I'm just like, who's first? And boom. And if, you know, then we just go. Like, no, no, how's everybody doing? How was your night? What, what did you see the game? None of that shit. Go. 15 minutes. We got to get started. Do you suggest we do a, you know, how's every, not um, anyone want to tell me something good to a segue in? We do that in our team meeting. There's no time in the scrum for that. Yeah. Scrum is scrum. They don't use it for any other purpose. You know, all, we do lots and lots of touchy-feely. We do lots and lots of sharing, um, but we do that in the appropriate meetings that are for that. And, you know, because of that, we, I have a 100% remote team, and the general feedback we get is that they feel more connected to their teammates than they did in their in-person workspace before us. You do the so, tell me something good at your weekly. Yeah, my, the typical agenda for the weekly is tell me about a win since the last team meeting, a personal or business. Tell me about something 
bad that happened that you learned from and tell me about how something that you really wish was better about this business. And that's the three things they, they report on in the, uh, in the team meeting. And we don't talk any business. Oh, got it. And that's with everybody. Yep. And that's how often is, was that team meeting? I do them every two weeks. So I, th- those are also at 11, but they're actually right after scrum. So they're immediately after scrum. And uh, one week I have a team meeting like that. And the second week, um, this is new. This is something new I've added. I do office hours um, because one of the ways we can improve the business feedback that we got consistently last year was more communication from management. And so management is committed to being at the office hours on the weeks that there's not a team meeting and you can ask anything. And we also commit, like, if you need to talk, you know, if they want to talk to uh, my partner about me, that's fine. They can go into a private room with whomever they want to go talk about me behind my back. Yeah, that, that's okay. So people can go into private rooms. They can go into group rooms. They can just stay in the general place. But it's just office hours. Come talk about whatever you want. No agenda. What's that link to talk about you behind your back? <laughs> I will give it to you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's helpful. I'm just trying to reconcile it with something I learned over the last, at a, at a recent workshop. And I just yeah. wanted to see that there's different variations, apparently, of this concept. There are. I mean, you know, Gino Wick talks about stuff like this. Vern Hardish talks about stuff like this. And that's all. And that all comes from older stuff. Dan Sullivan talks about stuff like this. And that all comes from way back to, you know, Covey talks about stuff like this. This is, this is old. This is not new. It's just the way that I've implemented it brings something that these other people just generally haven't, which is I bring the Scrum methodology as part of it. Because I use Scrum in a much broader sense than just this meeting cadence. I use Scrum to decide what we're going to work on. I use Scrum to decide what what we're going to deliver to the market. And bringing the Scrum methodology onto and layering it onto this really, I think, empowers it and kind of supercharges it. Got it. Okay, thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening. This has been the Unbillable Hour Community Table on the Legal Talk Network. Learn by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, These immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu slash interactive or download PLI's mobile app.